Welcome to Words from the Wise, episode number two with Jake Fisher. Really a tremendous conversation, just uh, you know, a great backstory into the childhood and the life growing up and really what it took to start taking responsibility for your own decisions. Um, and that's how you ultimately live a life with no regret, following opportunity, going through the doors, being brave. It was just an all around great conversation and I can't wait for you to listen. Thank you and enjoy. Jake, thank you so much for joining me. Um, this is, you know, I've heard so many great things about you. Um, Diana had nothing but fantastic things to say. So I am super excited for this conversation. Um, and, you know, I'm really hoping where we can just start is you kind of introduce yourself, um, you know, where, where you're from, kind of what your background is, just kind of take us back to, you know, your you know, your 20s and 30s and what you were up to. Well, first of all, let me just thank you for the honor of, of being on your podcast. Uh, to think that I'm one of the first to to be a part of this occasion, especially at my age, is, is pretty remarkable. <laughs> you know, believe it or not, I can remember living with my grandparents when they had a phone that hung on a wall and just like two, they were two longs and a short. <laughs> so this is Those were the simpler days. Yeah, this is pretty exciting to me. Very cool. So, um, okay, so let's see. Um, I guess I guess for the sake of this conversation, it might be better to go back even further than my 20s and 30s. Just, I'll make it brief. Let's go. Um, I guess you could say I, I grew up, I went to the school of hard knocks. Um, when my folks were splitting up, but I was about the age of five. My mom, believe it or not, put, my, put me on a train. I rode a train for two days down to Southern Indiana by myself. Um, I had $5 and I was in the care of the conductor and I got the ice cream for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. It was like the best <laughs> time of my life. Uh, I lived with my grandparents in Southern Indiana. We rural bridge, uh, rural country, uh, covered bridges, dirt roads, um, you know, no indoor toilets. Um, and in fact, I remember when my, my grandmother said we, we should buy, we should spend some money on either a TV or not, or an indoor toilet. My grandfather said, well, we don't have money for both. You got to pick one. And to, to her credit, she chose the TV because she wanted to be the first one in the area to have a TV. Um, so that was pretty exciting. But those were, those were good years. I mean, I loved it. I lived with my grandfather. My great-grandfather lived down the road. I remember sitting with him while well, he was in his rocking chair and he'd tell me stories about the old days. I mean, the really old days, back to the eight, late 1800s. So. And then from there, um, I went, my mom came and got me, and I was reunited with my brother and sister, and we lived in foster homes in the south side of Chicago. And then from there, I went to an orphanage. Uh, in spite of the fact that I had parents, um, they couldn't provide for us, so um, we went to live in an orphanage until I graduated eighth grade. Then I went to live in a boys' boarding school for two years, and when I was between my sophomore and junior high school, I revolted in a way, my own private way. I signed my mother's name to get me into a junior or to a public high school. First time in my life I lived like a, what I thought was a normal person. Mm. And uh, it, it was a challenge because I'd lived a secluded life. Uh, I'd lived on one side of the wall and now, you know, I'm on the other side of the wall. It's like, wow, this is, this is interesting. And at an age when most kids are, you know, trying to find themselves, I was really trying to find myself. Mm-hmm. So I struggled, uh, but, I, but I was okay. Uh, couldn't wait to leave home. 
I joined the Navy at 17, in spite of the fact that the Vietnam War was raging. I just, I thought it best to join the Navy and avoid the, the draft. I'm a combat veteran from the Vietnam War. Um, I was proud at the time to have done that. Um, I now regret that our company, our country was at war. I've been back three, four times now. Uh, I've got good friends over there and, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things that I did because I thought it was the right thing to do. Coming home was more traumatic than, than being there, believe it or not, because I came home in December of 67. I went back to Chicago and in 68, um, it, it, Chicago was a mess. Um, you know, the peace protesting was at its peak. Um, I was trying to go to a private junior college to learn to be an accountant. Um, I was one of three combat veterans and we took more grief than what I wanted, so I dropped out. Um, but the city was a mess, race riots and all kinds of stuff going on. So um, I, I just put my head down, got a job, worked my way up to the ranks at Jewel Foods in Chicago. And at the age of 35 or so, I decided I, I just I didn't know what else to do, but I, I knew I wanted to do something different. So I, I, um, I was actually a store manager at the time and I bought a small chain. I left the company and I bought a small chain of grocery stores in the outskirts of Chicago. And after four or five years of doing that, I just, I just didn't want the grocery stores anymore. And I was scared to death, but I, I just knew that I couldn't do that. And I, and I sold my stores. I went back to school. I had a wife and three kids at the time. Um, but I started, I decided I just, I, I had to, I had to do something different. I didn't know what else to do at the time. Um, but one of the things that got me to that point was, um, I'd gone to see a doctor. He was a guy that was, would come into my store a lot. And um, we had what I would call a typical macho male relationship. You know, I would never give them, I would never think of telling this guy I loved him. I would never think of hugging him. That's just no way. Um, and I made an appointment to see this guy one night using a fictitious name because I didn't even want him to anticipate that I was coming. <laughs> and he walked in and he looked at his clipboard and he looked at me and he said, uh, what, what the hell are you doing here? Who, who, what, what are you doing? And I said, oh, sit down. I just need 20 minutes of your time. And I said, I, if you want me to pay, I'll pay. But Jim, I said, I, I don't know where else to go. He said, well, what's the problem? And I said, you tell me. I think you know better than I. And he said, seriously? And I said, yeah. He said, why are you saying that? And I said, I got a hunch. I said, I, I've, I'm seeing doctors. I'm seeing chiropractors. I'm seeing acupuncture doctors. My back, my back is killing me. I'm, lock, I'm walking like the hunch, hunchback of Notre Dame. I'm not very happy. I said, there's something else going on here. And I said, I don't have a clue. And I think you of all people can tell me because I think you know me better than most. He said, wow. Well, he said, okay, but before I tell you what I want to tell you, he said, I want to ask you a couple of questions. I said, okay, what? He said, uh, do you get up every day and go to, go to work the same, at the same time? And, and go to work the same way every day? And I said, yeah. He said, and you leave work every day at the same time? Yeah. He said, so you, you lead a very disciplined and regimented life, right? I said, yeah. Okay, when was the last time you read a, a different kind of a book or read a good book at all? He said, I, I don't have time for that. I own my own business. I, you know, I'm, I'm working all the time. Okay, he said, uh, have you made any new friends in the last year or two? No, no, I can't say that I have. He said, okay, that's what I thought you were going to say. He said, uh, you, need, you need to change your life. 
that you don't need to take doc, you don't need to go see doctors and take medicine and pills like that. He said, you need to change your life. I said, what are, what are you talking about? He said, you know exactly what I'm talking about. He said, you asked me for my opinion and this is it. So, and I have a hunch that you, you hear me loud and clear, but you're just afraid. And I said, all right, let me ask you a question. You're an orthopedic specialist. And I assume you operated on a lot of people. How many people have you operated on in the last five years? He said, 55. Oh, I said, you know exactly. He said, oh yeah. I said, how many operations were absolutely successful? He said, three. I said, well, you must be a pretty bad doctor. He said, no. He said, it's never, it's never what it, people think it is. He said, and I've told many people the same thing I'm telling you. It's a life problem. It's not a, not a medical problem. He said, Jake, if you change the direction of your life, I promise you, your life will get better. So I say to this guy, okay, let's assume that I hear you loud and clear and I'm willing to do whatever you tell me to do. What should I do first? And he said, a random act of kindness and do it anonymously. And once you're done, stop and take a deep breath and ask yourself how you feel about what you just did. And I said, are you kidding me? you think that's going to be the beginning of a good life? And he said, I promise you, if you just do it, don't be a jerk, just do it. So I said, okay. And uh, it took about three weeks for me to figure out, you know, when and where to do it. And I was sitting at this lunch counter one day. I'll never forget the day of my life. Um, I'd ordered a bowl of soup. I had a biscuit and a cup of coffee. And, the, you know, and it cost me $2.95. And an older guy sat down next to me. We struck up a conversation and it dawned on me that this was my opportunity to do a random act of kindness. Because if anybody was gonna appreciate me buying him lunch, he would be the guy and he ordered exactly what I had. So remember, $2.95. So I had started eating ahead of him and I was finished before he was, so I, I, it was easy for me to disappear. So I excused myself, told him I was going to the bathroom. Instead of going to the bathroom, I went and paid for my lunch, paid for his, and I left. I'll never forget, it was a cold, dreary day in Chicago, it was probably mid-November. I stood outside under the canopy, and I stopped, and I took a deep breath, and I said, okay, how do I feel? I got tears in my eyes, because for the first time ever, I felt like I'd done something right, something good, and I couldn't wait to tell Jim. I mean, those, those weren't tears of sadness, those were tears of joy, and so I called him, and I said, you're not going to believe this, I did it. He said, so how does it make you feel? And I said, Jim, you have no idea how good it feels. He said, okay, this is the first day of the rest of your life. And that's how you got to think about it. So, um, I mean, the rest is history. I, you know, I went back to school. There's all kinds of stories I could tell you. Um, but at one point, I, I started to doubt whether or not I'd made a, a good choice or not. And I was reading the book by, I was actually listening to a tape by Wayne Dyer. His book, his newest book at the time was The Sky's the Limit. And in the book, he asked the question, or in the tape, he asked the question, have you ever tried to do something that you thought was impossible to do? And I hit pause and I said, why would somebody ask the question like that? I mean, that to me, that was a concept like, you gotta be kidding me, people do that kind of stuff? So I hit go and he said, you might be smarter than you think you are. You might even be more capable than you think you are. And if you, if you can come up with something that you don't think you could do and I'll teach you how to accomplish that goal and that'll change the direction of your life. So I said, what have I got to lose, right? I came up with the idea of running the Chicago Marathon. 
when I had that idea, I weighed 220 pounds. I was walking like the hunchback of Notre Dame. Um, and I, I was in good shape. I'd never been an athlete. Um, never, never, never run a race before in my life. Never even ran before. To make a long story short, 14 months later, I, I, I showed up at the start line of the Chicago Marathon. And a little over five hours later, I finished. Myself, and I finished with a guy by the name of Norman. Uh, who had never run a, a race before. He was 74, um, and, and we cried like a baby because we both knew that this was, this was a big deal. And I got to tell you, the rest is history because, I mean, I just, I never, I never would have guessed in a million years before that race that I'd be sitting here talking to a guy like you and sharing my life with people on a podcast. I mean, seriously, and there's, there's been lots that's gone on between then and now, so that's, that's the short, fast version. Man, that's such a, that's such a, it, it, it seems like you've just, you've done such a good job at, it may, and you, you let me know if, if this is how you feel, but it feels like you've done a really good job at kind of taking life by the horns and um owning that it's your life you're in control of the results um you make the choices you're in your own mental game and you just got to win that is that kind of how you you know you've always approached life or is that how you approach it now like you know where 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 are you at from that standpoint look the, w the way i see it you're first of all you're absolutely right i'm responsible for everything in my life i take responsibility now it doesn't mean it doesn't mean I'm to blame or I'm, you know, any of those kind of other ideas. I'm responsible, okay? And, I, and I've always, since, since those days, I've always approached life like that, okay? I'm responsible for everything that happens in my life, good, bad, or otherwise. And, and I just, I wouldn't have it any other way. And it's so gratifying to feel that way because I'm, I'm no longer um, codependent. I'm no longer a victim. I'm no longer anything other than this, this human being who's making the best out of everything he has. And that's how I see it. I love that. I love that. I love that you said, you know, about being codependent, because I think, you know, that's one of the issues that too many of us have today is we blame outside or external factors on why we feel a certain way, Absolutely. or why something happened to us. Absolutely. It's when, Absolutely. You, when you own it, then you don't get that feeling anymore. Well, and here, here's something else. I, I firmly believe in this too. The only way I can improve the quality of your life and all the lives I touch is to make sure that the quality of my life is, is just as good, if not better. So I, and I don't mean this in a selfish way. I, I try to do anything and everything I can to make sure that I'm living a good life. And then the theory is, my theory is that to the extent that I'm living a good life, I want to share myself with you and others like you who, who are also trying to make a difference. Because that, that reminds me, I'm, I'm kind of um, choosy about who I spend my time with because, you know, we, I don't know if you've heard this concept before, but we are the sum total of the five people we spend the most time with. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I'm very careful about who I spend time with because they, unbeknownst to us, who you spend time with can have an adverse or a positive effect on you. So to the extent that you're careful about who you spend time with, you're just making a better life for yourself. Mm -hmm. Were you always like that? No, no. Yeah. Up until I, up until I was about 36 or 37, I honestly lived life like a victim. Yeah. 
So in the in the conversation of you know you're the you know the five the sum total of five people that you spent time with, um, were when you realize that or or kind of take me back to the moment when you know maybe roughly around when you realize that and did you have five people in your life or three people in your life that didn't that that were not you know who you wanted to be and then how did you kind of like break that relationship or move forward where did that how did that process work out. I honestly don't remember the, the exact moment, but I can tell you that it's not like it's not like I distanced myself from the people I was spending time with. I would I would just spend more time with the people I want to spend more time mm. with. Mm. I can I can honestly tell you that um, I mean this is going to I don't know if I should if this is politically correct to say this or not, but you know my name is Jacob Fisher, F I S H E R, and um, you know I've always I've always wanted to spend time with you know other kinds of people other than me whatever that meant because i once i once i became aware i wanted to you know broaden my horizons okay so for example uh with my name i thought you know what i want to i wonder what it's like to spend time with jewish people i think i can get away with this because my name is jacob fisher so i actually uh, was on the board of directors for a school in chicago i won't say the name of the school it was a jewish school and i got away with it okay because they, they, everybody would ask me my name. I go by the name of Jake, mm -hmm. but under these circumstances, I use the name Jacob. And uh, yeah, so I, I, I did that for about two years. And I actually ended up having dinner one night with a very famous movie star. And had I not done what I had done, I would have never had dinner that night with the movie mm -hmm. star. I, mean, it's just, I put myself you know, way out on the skinny branches just, just because I think it's, a, it's you know, you never know what's gonna happen. And I, and I do that a lot, just you never, because you never know who you're going to meet. No, absolutely. So, you know, obviously a, a, a large topic um, or, you know, a lot of the premise of this podcast is, you know, talking about regret and just, you know, how, how to live with it or, you know, different moments that kind of um, are things that still sit with you today. So, you know, talking about your you know, your, your childhood, early teens, you know, I think a lot of us would hold on to that situation with probably a, a fair amount of, I don't know if regrets the right word, but maybe remorse or just um, some sort of dissatisfaction that you did have to go through that. And it was a challenge. Um, can you take me through, you know, maybe how you look at that situation and, you know, now and how it has, you know, translated into your life today? And, you know, maybe if, before you didn't think that way, if something shifted and, and how, just, um, you know, take me through that. Um, so it, it, in hindsight, it's easy for me to see now how I thought of myself then and how I see myself now. And the analogy I use is that um, before my awakening, um, I felt, I feel like I was living life like Jack in the box, okay? And, you know, and then pop goes the weasel. Well, the weasel's supposed to come out of the box. The box, the top of the box opens and the weasel comes out. But I gotta tell you, as hard as I tried, I couldn't get the lid open. Hmm. And I was banging on the lid trying to get the lid open because I knew that it was a different kind of life. I just didn't know how to live it. And I didn't know what the rules were, blah, blah, blah. So once I started doing these things that other people were telling me, and by the way, what I, and I, it's, it's important to notice that I said other people are telling me because up until that time, I was, I was not receptive to guidance from other people. Hmm. 
I was one of those young young people who thought he knew it all, you know. But unfortunately, I made up the rules to how to live life by myself. I didn't have much influence from the outside. And once once it dawned on me that other people might be able to give some positive guidance here, um, it's as if the box, the, the jack in the box came out, okay? And and I saw life in a very different way. Oh my God, this, the sun was bright, the stars were bright, every, everything was magnificent, and I was no longer in the box. But I will also tell you that there's been times when I find, I felt like I was way out on the skinny branches and I wanted to get back in the box and shut the lid. But you know what? You can't do it. Once you're out, you're out. There's no going back. And to me, that's what a regret is. It's sort of like, you know, if there's an opportunity, you go through the door, you make the decision to go through the door. Once you go through the door, that door shuts. Okay. Now you, you might have, you might, and now that you've gone through that door, you might say, well, geez, I wish I hadn't done that. Okay. But you can't go back. But you can, you can look for another door. So that's how I see it. It's all about, it's all about looking forward, finding the next door, being brave enough to see, well, being smart enough to see the door, being, being able to listen or hear the opportunities, and being, then being brave enough to open the door and go through it. So I don't, I don't use the, the term regret. I have no regrets because I, I am who I am, and that's how I got here. All the things that's happened to me, I'm the sum total, the same extent that for the sum total of five people we spend the most time with, but I'm the sum total of all of my decisions in life, good, bad, or otherwise. But once you make a decision, you can't, you can't go back. All you can do is make a new decision, another decision. And that, that reminds me of what we talked about the other day. I told you about the 80-20 rule. Um, I did some research, and there's actually, it's actually started back in the early 1900s. I think the guy was from Italy. He came up with this concept. But um, I believe that the key to success is make decisions. And based on the 80-20 rule, 20% of your decisions will have a major on 80% of your life, okay? So if you think about it, the key to success is making a whole bunch of decisions. Just keep making decisions. 80% 80 of all your decisions will be relatively good decisions, some better than others, and 20% will be questionable or, or not good decisions. But would, doesn't it make more sense to just keep making decisions? Just keep moving forward, making decisions, making decisions, making decisions. And I find way too many people, um, they're, they're, they're stuck. They get stuck. Uh, analysis by paralysis. They get stuck. Analyze. You know, it's like, should I or shouldn't I? Just mm -hmm. make a decision, whatever it is. No, I, I, agree, so, I agree so much on that comment. Um, because you know you never feel good either if you if you weigh a decision for for weeks yeah yeah you you never feel good the process never. is horrible and you know you, the likelihood of you coming out with probably the same decision that you would have made you know after an hour is probably the same or you probably talked yourself into the wrong decision right but it but now that you mentioned that so having having my guess is you probably labored over a decision or two right mm -hmm. and and it becomes it becomes like um like an umbrella mm. okay? you, you just like you you have this weight on your shoulders and you just god what am i going to do and you're anguish and you're mm. angst and blah 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 and once you make the decision 
no matter what the decision is, you feel relieved. Mm-hmm. Like, and it's like there's this freedom you have to move forward that you, that you haven't had for as long as it took you to make that decision. And by the way, it doesn't matter what the decision was. You experienced the freedom. The freedom to move forward, the opportunity to move forward. And once you go through that door, that door automatically shuts behind you. You can't, you can't change that. And then it's just a matter of finding another door. If, if you decide maybe that wasn't the door you should have opened, you just look for the next door. Mm-hmm. I love how you oh, phrase it as the, the freedom to move forward. Absolutely. I think that's so important. Absolutely. Hmm. Now, you had mentioned something about, you know, going, you know, once you kind of go out or when you were, when you went out on that branch, you could feel yourself sometimes, you know, coming back or, or possibly, um, you know, I'll just say falling off because we're talking about branches here at this point, but, um, but, but where you could see yourself kind of um, reclining back to, you know, maybe the old self or some version of the old self. Is there anything or what do you do in that scenario to make sure that you don't go back to being the way that you were and that you stay moving forward and making decisions and progressing? Okay. So, so let me, let me tell you another concept. Um, I believe there are nine stations in life. Um, there's the lower, I mean, you could say from, the, from an education or economic point of view, there's lower class, middle class, and upper class. And within each of those three categories, there's three, lower, middle, and upper. Okay. And all of us start someplace. All of us have a natural tendency to want to improve the quality of our life. And what I've learned is that the, the more advanced I become, the more uncomfortable I am under new circumstances. And as soon as I start to experience a certain degree of stress, the tendency is to relieve the tension and to go back where you came from. Okay. So for example, um, as a kid going up, I could talk like a junkyard dog and did, did a lot of that. Okay. And so now that I've got a college education, I think I'm a little bit more sophisticated. I politically correct level up. I try and I try very hard not to do that. But man, I'm telling you, if, if, if I get myself in a situation where I need to go back to my roots, I can do it real good. <laughs> it's like you'd say, you'd say, wow, is that you? It's just, it's where you come from. You always go back to where you come from. It's just, and the further, the further out you go, it's like a rubber band. The further out you go, the bigger the snap when you, when you gotta go back. It's, it's pretty amazing. Um, so, and so now that I'm a lot smarter than I was then, um, there was probably a time when I would go to drink beer or drink wine or do something stupid like that, okay? Now, now that I'm a little smarter, I, I go meditate. You know, I just, I lay down and I, I take a deep breath and I start to, you know, just kind of focus on my breathing and relax and, you know, I go in. Very different than drinking beer and drinking wine, so. But that's because I'm a little smarter now, too. <laughs> exercise is also a place to go, too. Yeah. What do you do uh, for exercise? exercise. Well, I, I used to, I, I became like addicted to running. And then that became a challenge. So I, I went to bicycling. And now I'm walking. Now that I'm a little older, a little wiser, and my body's <laughs> taken a stall. I had a foot operation about a year ago. So I'm just getting back into the groove. But I'm starting to think about another bicycle trip. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Very nice. 
Um, so you had mentioned meditation. I think meditation is, um, it's so important, you know, for anybody, no matter what state you're in or, or the way you think, uh, when did you pick up meditation? Um, and how have you felt it affect you? Well, I've known about meditation for probably the last 30 years mm -hmm. and I, and I did use it to a certain degree, but not, not to the degree that I use it now. And a year ago, no, actually it's been probably three years ago now. I, I actually, like a lot of guys, like a lot of people, I went to India um, and I spent a couple weeks in India and um, I learned a lot about myself, even more than I, than I knew. And one of the things I learned is I'm, I'm too much of a doer. I've kept myself busy doing things in life. And my teacher suggested that I ought to do less doing and more, more meditating because um, we need a balance in life. Um, so I came back and um, so it's only as of about three years ago that I've started to meditate to the extent that I do now. And I try to do meditation you know, anywhere from 15 to 30 minutes a day. And I do it maybe five days out of seven. Um, and I do it just, you know, I, I put on a headset, I lay down on the bed and yeah, I just meditate. But I also do some stretching exercises and stuff like that too. Yeah. So, so something that um, that I always want to ask, and because I want to kind of see where it goes and, and and where you go with it, is you know, is there a decision? So, so this is kind of the flip side of is there a decision that you regret? Because you know, we've talked about, and you know, you, you own that there's nothing in your life that you regret. Um, because you know there are decisions that you've made, so on and so forth. But so on the on the flip side of that, is there a decision that you made early on in life? It can be at any point that you know for a fact if you did not make that decision, you would regret every second of, every second of your life today. You would have some form of regret about not doing something. Well, here's, here's an example, I think, of what, what you might be looking for. Um, when I went back to school um, and I started meeting different people, I made it a point to meet different kinds of people, people that I had, had never been exposed to before. And um, I would start, uh, so, I, so if you and I had met back then, we would have lunch and I would ask you, you know, I'd ask you a lot of questions and then I would suggest or ask, do you have friends or two that I might talk to as well and and you would make recommendations so um i, I had a couple conversations and it led me to this this guy that i'd heard of um and i hadn't i hadn't reached out to him but the, one night i was home and there were i had a bunch of people over one night and he knocked on my door i guess i guess other people were telling him that he should meet me and i should meet him and blah 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 he knocked on my door. So when I went to the door, there's a complete stranger standing there. And I said, uh, hi, my name's Jake. And who are you? And he said, my name's John. So I said, okay, so why are you here? He said, well, I'm told that we should meet. And I said, well, okay, who are you? And you know, that, that was the, that guy has, is now my best friend and has been my best friend for 40 years. Wow. So think about it. Think about it as an opportunity. A stranger knocked on my door. I opened the door and I let him in. And that guy is now my best friend. And by the way, 
over the course of time, he had a friend, um, somebody, they were looking for somebody to run a business. And he thought of me. So he introduced me to his friend. His friend introduced me to other people. I ended up running that business. And that business evolved into to, to my success. Wow. That just goes to show you what opening the door to an opportunity can do for you. Yeah, it's just, it's astonishing. So, you know, on that, was it, um, well, one area that I love to dig into is kind of gut feelings or, you know, like hell yes moments. It's like moments that you just know were the right thing to do. So, you know, when, I guess, you know, the opportunity of, you know, him open, you know, what it was opening the door and him becoming friends, you know, like, was that it, like, did, did that sit in your gut of just, you know, there's no doubt that I should talk to this guy. No, I just opened the door. I mean, he didn't, it wasn't like he was standing there with a gun and I wanted to <laughs> slam the door in his face. I mean, just, I was in, I was in a good mood and I was receptive to, you know, to the fact that he was a stranger. I didn't, it, it doesn't matter to me. I mean, and I can tell you that I've, I've traveled quite a bit in the world and I have no problem walking up to strangers. Uh, and I can tell you that in all my travels, I've been to some great museums, I've seen some great art, I've seen some great historical places, but it's always the people that have met that made all the difference in the world. Hmm. The strangers. And I love to travel by myself because uh, solo, travels throughout, solo travelers throughout the world are, are beacons for others. Okay, and I've, I've been in all parts of the world and people will come and say, sir, would you, would you like to join my family and I for dinner or... You know, just people kind of reach out and they want to bring you into the into their family. And I've had I've met some fantastic people that way. So you just have like this innate curiosity to engage with other people. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Which we're missing so much of right now. Um, you know, not just you know, COVID era, but just in the era of everything so digital, so tech. Um, you know, everybody works from home or, you know, they, you just chat with each other. You don't actually have, you know, relationships anymore. Um, you know, it, it's, it's amazing when you hear a story like yours where, you know, you can attribute, you know, almost, hey, yeah, I can let, you know, you can say what, how, you know, the percentage wise, but it feels like, you know, you can contribute almost all of your success to, you know, just being open to other people and open yeah. to, to new conversations. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and look, what we don't understand and what most people don't realize, everybody wants to contribute something to the quality of your life. And all you gotta be is receptive, okay? Too many of us say, you know, geez, can I do this or can I do that? No, it's okay, I'll do it myself. Mm -hmm. let, them, let them do it, whatever it is that they wanna do it. Just let them do it because it's, it's, their, it's the only way they might be able to show their that they that they care about you or that they want to help you or whatever. Don't don't turn down a gift from another person. It's crazy, but all too often we do it because we're too we're too proud or we're too independent or whatever. What do you think it is more of? Do you think it's more being too proud? Do you think it's just not wanting help because we don't want to then owe somebody else something? I'm not sure this is going to be politically correct, but uh, but I'll tell you my perception, and I think it's we're too too American. Yeah, because uh, I, I can honestly say that in my world travelers, um, I find the world to be more receptive to other people than we are as Americans. 
Hmm. And even, even as I travel throughout America, we're not receptive to one another. We keep our distance. Even if you look at all the major cities in America, you know, I'm well aware of the fact that segregation is still an issue in this country. Mm-hmm. But we do, it, we do it by choice, okay? Like if you go to Chicago, for example, where I'm from, all the Italians will live in, used to, well, not so much anymore, but for the most part, the Italians live in one neighborhood, the Chinese live in another neighborhood, the African-Americans live in their neighborhood. And we build these imaginary walls around ourselves. And so, you know, that's, that's by design. It's, you know, we design our lives like that, but it's, it's really unfortunate. And even when I, was a, when I was a young father, I made it a point to, to bring people home that were very, very different from, from my family and I. Because I just thought it was my job as, an, as a parent to expose my kids to people from all over the world. I love that. And it's just such a, it's such a way to get them familiar with, you know, real world, um, you know, and, and exactly. just really appreciating everybody for who they are and, you know, just, just at the core of, of who they are as a person. Right. I'll, I'll throw one at you. This is, this is, to me, this is staggering. White Americans, only, only, no, 80% of white Americans have no African-American friends. Really? And a friend is defined by somebody who's actually been to your house. Huh. That's astonishing. Have, I know it is. It's, it's sad. It's, it's pathetic, really. And by the way, when I was working for Jewel Foods, I, I volunteered to be, the only, to, to be the only white guy in an all-black neighborhood. And my store manager at the time, he was African-American. And he, him and his wife would always invite my family to his house. And we would always go. We'd have a great time. We'd have a lot of good food. And we, you know, we just enjoyed ourselves. And, and I kept asking him to come to our house. And he always had an excuse for not to do it. Hmm. So finally, one day, I challenged him. And I said, look, you've had us over to your house so many times. And, you, and for whatever reason, you don't come to visit me at my house. I said, you, there's got to be something going on here. What is it? He said, Jake. He said, I'd love to come spend time with you and your family at your house. He said, but what would your neighbor say? I said, I don't care. He said, I do. He said, there's no doubt in my mind. Now, this is in the 70s. This happened, okay? This is in the suburbs of Chicago. And he said, there's no doubt in my mind that you and your family would suffer repercussions if my family and I visited you. And you know what? I don't know if he's right or wrong, but you know what? You got to give him. You got to give him all the credit in the world for thinking about me mm-hmm. and my family. That's really interesting. It's uh, you know, it's amazing that some people can be so self-aware. Um, you know, I think a lot of us lack self-awareness and just in general. Um, I don't know if it's because we have you know so many stimulus these days that we you know just gets the mind gets crowded. Um, but it is always really impressive when somebody can be so aware of all of their surroundings. Well, and to be so concerned about another person, oh. and, uh, and I, like I said, I find that that's I find that it's uh, in other in other cultures, especially the, uh, the Far East, those people are are far more concerned about other people than you are mm-hmm. than we are about ourselves. For example, here's here's a great example. I've been back to Vietnam many times, and the biggest challenge I have whenever I go back to Vietnam is crossing the street because over there they'll have 12 lanes of highway going in two different directions and there's no crosswalks, there's no lights and there's no crossing signs. Okay. You know how you cross, you know how you, and there's constant traffic. You know what you do? You know how you cross the street? 
you step off the curb and you start walking. Hmm. And, and you walk to the other side without looking to the left or to the right. You don't, you don't even think about that, okay? And all those people on the roads are thinking about you. They're watching you. They wouldn't want anything in the world to happen to you. And you get to the other side, and I promise you, you'll be safe. Now, but if you stop, if you stop and look to your left or to the right, you'll cause all kinds of mayhem. Okay? Hmm. And it, I had to think about that because it took me three weeks to be able to be brave enough to cross to cross 12 lanes of traffic like that. And the, and the solution I came up with is because we think so much about ourselves. We're so concerned about ourselves. What if that guy hits me? What if blah, 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 all that stuff, okay? But they're thinking just the opposite. Oh my God, there's the guy walking across the street. I gotta do everything I can to, to keep from hurting him. Make mm-hmm. sure it doesn't happen. So very, very common in the Far East. That's such an interesting, just, you know, kind of, I don't know, metaphor even about life in, in general of just, you know, stepping off the curb and just trusting, trusting other people, trusting yourself. Um, and that the fear really isn't that much fear once you get going, because you realize that things just tend to work out. Cars tend to stop and you get to the other side. I got, a, I got another story. You want to hear another story? I love stories. So I've got an African-American friend from Chicago. And myself and him and one other guy, we would sit around and have coffee. And we were trying to figure out what we want to do with the rest of our lives. And at the time, I was trying to raise money to buy my first business. One of the guys was a doctor. And he, wanted, he was 65, and he wanted to do something different. And so as I got closer and closer to my to raising the money I needed, which I, I was just astonished by because I'd never done anything like that before. I suggested that the doctor put together his CV and his resume and see if we couldn't support him in pursuit of another job. And he did, and he got a new job, the job of his life and the job of his biggest dreams. And then it came time for the African-Americans. So we turned our tables on him and we said, okay, Bill, what about you? Have you been thinking about you know, what you'd like to do with the rest of your life. And he said, well, yeah, he said, but he said, I'm not sure I could pull this off. And I said, so what is it that you want to do? He said, I'd like to become the first African-American to sail solo around the world through all five great capes. And I say to myself, this guy's got to be crazy. He's 55 years old and he wants to sail around the world all by himself. But I, you know, I, I didn't say a word. And I said, well, what's it going to take? So he said, well, I got to put, put together a business plan. Um, I got to raise the money. And yeah, I said, okay, so let's do it. To make a long story short, he did it. Okay. He spent 22 months at sea all by himself. <laughs> Sleep deprivation was his biggest challenge. And when he came back, he became the captain of the boat Amistad that was recreated to make the movie uh, when they were recreating the, the slave traffic routes from the from Africa to, the, to uh, South America and up. So he now, in, in fact, when, before he left, he was a, um, a makeup artist in Chicago, for mm-hmm. Revlon. And now he's sailing in the, in the Caribbean. He's been sailing ever since he did his solo trip around the world. So he, would, he came to Florida once where I was living and we went out for pizza one night after he'd given a speech. And he tells a story about how he saved his own life five times. And, uh, you know, he fell overboard once, but he had this, he was tied in, so he swam back up. He was, sleep deprivation was an issue, but he would rest below decks. And one night he, he was startled awake and he came running out and it's like big ocean liners coming at him. So he was, had to, you know, veer off course. So it's stories like that. 
So, you know, you give these speeches and people come up to me and say, oh my God, Bill, you're my hero. So why do you say that? He said, well, I've been my whole life wanting to sail around the world. He said, but you know, I, the furthest I've gotten, I've got to the Bahamas. Or I, you know, I sailed to Chesapeake Bay or something like that. So Bill say, oh, well, you know, just follow your dreams or whatever, you know, whatever he'd say. But we, go, we went out for beers one night. I said, Bill, what do you make of this? I said, all these guys have a lot more money than you. I said, they have this dream, but for whatever reason, they haven't been able to pursue that dream. What do you attribute that to? He said, yeah, he said, it's kind of sad. He said, because what they did is they wrote their dream down on a piece of paper. They put the paper in their pocket and they went home and watched TV. He said, me, he said, crazy guys like you were encouraging me to follow my dream. So I said, okay. I said, so they call you hero. Do you think you're their hero? And he said, no. He said, a hero is somebody is somebody who saved somebody else's life. He said, what I did was instinct. I saved my own life five times, but that's not heroic. That's just instinct. And I said, okay, have you ever done anything heroic in your life? He said, yes, once. I said, oh, really? I said, what was it? He said, do you remember when the boat was tied up next to the pier in Boston before I left? And I said, yeah. He said, when I leaned over and untied the rope from the piling, was the most heroic moment of my life. And I said, I don't, I don't understand. He said, Jake, if I knew then what I know now, he said, I don't think I would have done it. He said, the key to success in life is you got to untie your boat from the pier. I love that. Get it? You just got to get started. Just take the first step. Untie your boat from the pier. He's 84 years old now. He's still sailing the Caribbean. Or the, yeah, down around, down around Puerto Rico. And he's a better I can assure you, I can assure you, he's in better health than you and I. <laughs> Guaranteed. He's just <laughs> at the happy. Age, at the age of 80, he was the bodybuilding champion for San Juan, Puerto Rico. For people wow. That's what oh. I mean by, that's what I mean. Here's what happens when you go through the door. There's a door of opportunity. You see the door, you open the door. And having been successful like he was, he was liberated. He became the man he wanted to be because he made the choice. Mm -hmm. And every time we make a decision that liberates us, we become more and more the person we want to be, in my opinion. And it goes back to what you said earlier about, you know, you can open the wrong door 20% of the time. And, you know, I'm sure he opened plenty of wrong doors that eventually led to the right door. He fell overboard. <laughs> I mean, he did something wrong. <laughs> that wasn't a good idea. <laughs> yeah, we could, we, you know, you could think of five wrong doors that he opened up uh, yeah. just on that trip. Right. Exactly. That's, that's exactly how you got to look at it. No, I love that. I mean, this it seems like a, a pretty good place to wrap up. Um, but I have one question that, you know, I always want to ask everybody that's on the show. Um, and it's, you know, knowing what you know today, what message would you give your younger self? And it could be the 10 year old you, the 20 year old you, whoever, what would you want to tell them? Yeah, one of the things that, that, that as a kid that I didn't have was I was never encouraged to think about the future. You know, what are your hopes and dreams for the future? Um, and it wasn't until I was 34, 35, 36 till I started to think like that. So what I tell anybody and everybody is 
you got to start thinking now about your about your future. What are your hopes and dreams for the future? You know, write it down on a piece of paper. Because once you write it down, once you put it out there, something happens in the world. Okay, the universe will support you in the pursuit of your hopes and dreams. And, and unless you unless you know what your hopes and dreams are, the universe isn't going to know either. So all you got to do is articulate it. Ponder it, think about it, put it down on a piece of paper. And the next thing you know, things start to happen. Couldn't agree with that. It's the juice, it's the juice of life. <laughs> I love it. I appreciate this conversation so much, Jake. Um, you've been tremendous to talk to. Um, and I really appreciate you taking uh, the time to your, your tonight um with me um it was a wonderful let, hour. let me tell you to tell you too i you know I've, I've lived what i'd like to think is a pretty humble life and it, it means a lot to me that somebody that i've never met before like you has reached out to me and asked me to be a part of this okay because you know i'd like to think that i have something that i've learned something over the years and you know when it's all said and done i i'd like to think that i've had an impact on a lot of people and you know, I could have an impact on one person here and one person there, but this is an opportunity for me to have an impact on a lot of people. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you for the opportunity. And it is my absolute pleasure. Thank you. All right, we are. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Jake as much as I enjoyed talking to him. Keep listening. We'll keep creating new episodes, talking to amazing people. And we look forward to seeing you on the next one. Have a great day. Bye.